Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. They said, that's the Peloponnese channel. And I went to the bow of the boat in the front of the boat and I looked at that channel and I said, no way. There's no way that this boat is gonna make it through that channel. If you don't believe me, I have some pictures here of what that channel looks like. It's very narrow. And so the boat stopped at the entrance of this channel and just sat there and waited. And then this little speedboat came up with two men in in the little speedboat. And one of the men, he climbed up the ladder on the side of the boat and got in the boat. And he went right up to the captain's helm. We were on the deck. And so we could see in there. And you could see in the window as when he went into the captain's helm, the captain stepped aside and let him take the wheel of the boat. He was an expert pilot. He knew how to guide ships through that channel. That's what Eliezer had. As he stopped at that well, he let Jehovah Jesus come into the helm, the captain's helm, turned over the wheel to him, and he was able to save him from Laban. And that's what Jacob didn't have, as he didn't stop and let Jehovah Jesus come into the helm of his life, and he didn't give Jehovah Jesus the wheel of his life, so he wasn't saved from Laban. So it says in verse 13 that Laban ran to meet Jacob. You gotta keep in mind, Laban's about 110 years old. It's not very often you see a 110-year-old. What motivates a 110-year-old man to run? <laughs> okay. And so when we think about this, there are many narrow channels for us in life that are just frankly too dangerous for us. We need to stop and pray. Let the expert pilot come on. We need to pray the words of the hymn, Jesus, Savior, pilot me over life's tempestuous seas, unknown waves before me roll, hiding rock and treacherous shoal. Chart and compass came from thee, Jesus, Savior, pilot me. So Rachel's outward beauty, it was stunning, but it just didn't match her inward condition. And Leah's eyes were tender, but that matched her heart. Her heart was tender. And Leah had this quiet love for Jacob. She loved Jacob. And she had a love for God, which we're going to see. And we're going to see that expressed as she names her sons going to show that she loves Jacob and she loves God, as opposed to Rachel, who was hot-headed. We will see that in Genesis 30, verse 1, where it says, when Rachel saw that she bailed Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, give me children or else I die. And at that point, Jacob wasn't sure what the choice should be. <laughs> anyway, Rachel had such a sinful impatience that she was willing to curse her son 
with a name that told everyone that her son brought sorrow into her life. In Genesis 35, 18, it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. He'd said, that's enough. So as outward, as far as outward beauty goes, Rachel was the third renowned beauty in this patriarchal family, and she lines up with Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel. They're all outwardly gorgeous. But as inward beauty goes, it's Leah who God chose to be the mother of Judah and therefore the one who started the Davidic messianic line. And, and But we saw how Jacob was determined to not make the Lord his God, not have God tell him what to do, and that led Jacob to become a struggler, a struggler in life. He struggles for his birthright, he struggles for Rachel, he struggles for his herds, he struggles when he leaves home, he struggles to return home, he struggles even for his grave when he's in Egypt. He says, don't bury me here, bury me there, Canaan. Now we see that Jacob has worked his seven years. And he makes his announcement to Rachel's father in verse 21. Jacob said unto Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in unto her. That's quite something, that I may go in unto her. That's a pretty direct statement for a groom to make to the bride's father. That's just what every father wants to hear a suitor say about his daughter. <laughs> I want to go in unto her. You know, Jacob is not exactly the good example of what a gentleman should be. Right? <laughs> Jacob kind of supports what Dottie Louder told my wife when she said, we all know what men want. <laughs> so that's Jacob. He's brutally direct. And keep in mind, he's 84 years old, too, when he makes the statement. And you can hear in Jacob's voice that he's saying to Laban, I have a right to her. I have worked hard for her. So give to me what is rightfully mine. Now, Laban makes his move in verse 22. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And so here we see how Laban has his whole deception. It's all carefully planned out. You know, I didn't just think about this yesterday. And he arranges this feast with lots of noise and lots of bustle. And you can be sure that Laban made sure that the wine was a-flowing. And when we look at this feast that Laban has put together, we now see that this feast was designed to disguise. It was a feast designed to disguise the deception. It was a feast designed to disguise the switch. And as we see Laban here in this verse preparing for this feast, it reminds us something. We see Laban, he's working so hard preparing for this feast to disguise the deception. We can see Jacob. Jacob preparing to deceive his father Isaac. As we watch Laban with his plan to deceive in his mind, and he's carefully getting all the parts of this feast prepared to distract Jacob for the final deception of marrying Leah instead of Rachel, we can see Jacob with his plan in his mind as he carefully gets together that hairy goat skin and puts it on his arms. He prepares and puts it on his arms to distract Isaac, to disguise for the final deception of blessing Jacob instead of Esau. And just think of how Laban is making this feast to be such a happy celebration. It's a great marriage feast. And how that happy celebration was just like Jacob 
who made it a happy celebration when he came in with the savory venison and he said, here it is, dad. Here's the venison that I found so quickly because the Lord your God brought it to me. (laughs) He was referring to Rebecca. (laughs) Here, dad, this is the savory venison that your soul loves. Happy, wonderful, joyful. Let's eat and be happy. See, Laban had set up a happy celebration to trick Jacob. Just Jacob had set up that happy celebration to trick Isaac. And just think of the happy celebrations. The wine is flowing between the two descriptions. Here, when Laban is tricking Jacob, and it says Laban gathered all the people together, the place, and made a feast. And Jacob is tricking Isaac in Genesis 27, 25. He said, bring it near to me. And I will eat of my son's venison that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him and he did eat and he brought him wine and he drank. The last part of that verse is very important. He brought him wine and he drank plenty of wine to help dad be deceived. And just as Laban brought plenty of wine to that party to help Jacob be deceived, we look at this, we sit back and we say, wow, that detail, only God Only God could have designed such a learning experience for Jacob. Now we see that Laban, he really is trying to bind Jacob as firmly as he can, as long as he can. As a matter of fact, it says that, he he says that in Genesis 30, verse 27, Jacob, when he speaks to Jacob, Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if, if I found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. So Laban has watched Jacob and he's seen how God was with Jacob and his blessing flowed down to him. So he makes this feast. That was typical, a seven-day feast, a long, long time. Plenty of time to make sure that Jacob is well soused, (laughs) intoxicated. And, And normally what happens is that the bride is taken to the groom's house at the end of the feast for the bride to become his wife. But since Jacob didn't have a house, He had Laban's house. Laban controlled everything, everything, including the heavy veiling of the bride. So we're told in verse 23, and it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. So Laban has carefully orchestrated everything. He has orchestrated everything in his house for this deception. And notice how it says in verse 23, in the evening, very important detail. Laban has made this feast drag on and on and on on the last night into the dark, the dead dark of the night. He probably set the date for this feast to coincide with the time of month when there is no moon. And so there's no moonlight, and we can imagine how Laban has removed all the candles and the nightlights <laughs> from the room. And we can imagine, you know, Jacob saying, that's funny, there's no candles to be found, you know. Oh, well, who needs candles? So that little description in verse 23, and it came to pass in the evening, emphasizes to us how Laban deceived Jacob. It was in the evening. And it was when Jacob could not see because it was in the evening. See, Laban deceived Jacob when Jacob could not see. Jacob was deceived because he could not see. 
And now those words he could not see explain how Jacob could be deceived. And those are the words he could not see that carries us back to the explanation of how Isaac was deceived. When it says in the first verse of Genesis 27, and it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau's oldest son, said, my son, said, behold, here am I. It came to pass when he was old, his eyes were dim. He could not see. He could not see. In Genesis 23, 29, 23, it came to pass in the evening. It came to pass he could not see. It came to pass in the evening. In other words, it came to pass in the evening he could not see. Isaac could not see, so Jacob tricked him. Jacob could not see, so Laban tricked him. And now, all through this feast, Rachel has been with Jacob. She's been there the whole time, you know, the, as the bride apparent. But right now, Laban tells Jacob, go to your room, go back to your room. We don't see or read of any protest on the part of Rachel. We don't see Rachel saying, but I love Jacob, because Rachel just retires away, because Rachel doesn't have any love for Jacob. Rachel loves Rachel. (laughs) And so we see, (laughs) and we understand. All right, then we read in verse 23 about Laban that he took Leah, his daughter, and we can see how Laban has waited till all the guests have left and how he's built up this drama of having Jacob, you just be in your bed, and you, you be in your bed and you wait for your bride to be brought to you. And we can see Laban heavily veiling Leah as he brings her with the only light that he's got in the whole tent uh, to Jacob's room or whatever it was, in house. And Laban, he does not entrust the bringing of Leah to Jacob to anyone other than himself. As it says, he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. So it's a custom in those cult, some of those cultures in the Middle East, in Armenia, for example, the custom of the old Armenia, where the groom goes to bed first, and then in the dark, the bride is brought there, and, and he never sees her till the morning. But usually, it's the mother or a female attendants who bring the bride to the groom. So that was the custom. It was unusual. It's not usual for the father, such as Laban, to bring the bride. That's why it's carefully noted in verse 23 that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And that was the description that shows how much Laban is controlling everything here when it says he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And we read that Jacob, he had no idea that it was Leah. And it's so, in verse 23, it says, he went in unto her. You know, nothing's hidden from the eyes of God. Even what happens in private here in sometimes gets recorded. Now, it was also customary that a father would give to his daughter a maid to take care of her, and and that's what he did. So Laban took his own maid, Zilpah, and gave her to be the servant to Leah. So it says, Laban gave, verse 24, Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid. So the deception has been perfect. The deception has been complete. The deception has been controlled by Laban. Now, it's easy to read verse 25 and not feel the flood of emotions 
that's expressed here in verse 25, where it says, and it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. (laughs) Okay, so in the morning, when Jacob looks over at who's in bed with him, he's hit with a bolt of lightning. (laughs) When it says, behold, it was Leah. You know, maybe he kicked her off the bed. I don't know, (laughs) big thud. But he comes storming out in a rage to find Laban. So now before he does that, just kind of like sort of slow motion this a little bit. I mean, there sleeps Jacob in a state of bliss, total satisfaction. You know, he's sleeping. He's so happy. He's sleeping that after seven years of hard labor, finally he has his Rachel lying beside him. Finally, he has his Rachel as his very own. The comfort of his life is now asleep next to him. And finally, he has his Rachel lying beside him, the replacement for his mother to guide him through life. (laughs) Finally, he has his Rachel lying beside him, the focus of all of his affections. After a lifetime of feeling incomplete and unfulfilled, finally, with his Rachel lying beside him, Jacob feels so complete and he sleeps on in total contentment until the morning. (laughs) Now notice the first part of verse 25 when it says, and it came to pass that in the morning. See, those words in the morning are meant to draw us to that moment of in the morning. That moment of in the morning is very important for us to consider because Jacob saw this as the most important morning of his life. And now finally comes the morning that he's been looking forward to. Finally comes the morning he's dreamed of every day for those seven years. Finally comes the morning he's longed for when he would open his eyes and look at the most beautiful flower in the world, his Rachel. And this is the morning that Jacob has been looking forward to and it has finally arrived. The wonderful morning when he'd open his eyes, look at the most beautiful flower in the world, Rachel, and we can imagine Jacob as maybe he woke up and lies there, maybe with his eyes closed, you know, like a kid who closes his eyes as the birthday present is put in front of him. You know, and we can imagine, you know, Jacob lying there and saying, Now I'm going to open my eyes and see my present, my Rachel. So, like a kid at the birthday present with the get in front of him, and then everybody says, Okay, you can open your eyes now. And then everyone yells, Surprise! <laughs> and he opens his eyes in verse 25, Behold, it was Leah. <laughs> and for Jacob, this is really a surprise. <laughs> it was Leah. And at that moment, when he saw that, Jacob's life just came crashing down, just at that moment. And when he opened his eyes, there was a flood of feelings or emotions that he expressed. In those four words, in verse 25, we can feel the flood of feelings that Jacob felt when he opened his eyes. It came to pass in the morning, behold, it was Leah. What were the feelings that flooded Jacob in the morning when he opened his eyes with the surprise, behold, it was Leah. Behold, it was Leah. The first feeling is of extreme shock. A paralyzing stun came to him. Behold, it was Leah. 
The second feeling was disbelief. I, I can't believe my eyes. This has got to be a bad dream. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I can't believe this has happened. Disbelief. Behold, it was Leah. The third feeling is a disappointment. I've wasted my life. My life is now ruined. I've got what I did not expect. I expected Rachel, I got Leah. Behold, it was Leah. The fourth feeling was one of frustration with his inability now to change what's been done. And now he'll never have just one wife, like, uh, well, sort of like Abraham, but like Isaac. He'll never have just the one wife of his dreams, uh, Rachel. Behold, it was Leah. The fifth feeling was of regret. As he's looking back and he's seeing, where did I go wrong? How did I let Laban do this to me? How I made these mistakes? How I told him everything? How I didn't recognize his greed? And I enabled Laban to trick me, regret. Behold, it was Leah. The sixth feeling was loss, tremendous loss. I have lost Rachel. Jacob had felt that he had so much in Rachel. And now, as he looked at Leah, he had this incredible feeling of loss. As he looked at Leah, instead of Rachel, Jacob felt all is lost. And at this point, freeze this picture in our minds and see how the world makes a person feel when he has looked to the world and the world has tricked him, the world has deceived him. A person who rejects God, rejects the Lord to be as God, typically focuses all his attention on the world to give him what God offered to him, but he rejected. And just as Jacob decided at the end of chapter 28 to not make the Lord his God, so a lost person decides to reject God's offer to become his God. And just as Jacob focused all of his affections, all of his hopes, all of his expectations on Rachel instead of God, so a lost person focuses all his affections and his hopes and his expectations on what the world can offer him. And King David, speaking about this expectation, he had the correct expectation when he said in Psalm 62.5, Psalm 62.5, my soul wait thou only upon God for my expectation is from him. And just as Jacob found his expectation to perish when he looked at Leah, when he opened his eyes and saw it was Leah, so a lost person finds that all of his expectations from the world perish as King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 10, 28, the hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. And again, in Proverbs eleven seven, when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish. The hope of unjust men perisheth. In Proverbs eleven twenty three, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. In Proverbs 23, 18, for surely there is an end, and thine expectations shall not be cut off to the person who trusts in God. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Do you have a heart for Israel and lost Jewish people in America? Then come work in Southern California as a full-time or volunteer missionary working with Tom Cantor in Israel Restoration Ministries, reaching lost Jewish people with their Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ. Hourly wage, 401k, health insurance, company car and phone, and other amazing benefits. Call us, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, israelrestoration.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.